0: light of infinite seems that in almost every moment of our lives we are caught between two choices the easier or more selfish choice and sometimes something that is harder and more a selfless choice sometimes suffolk doubt blurs the lines between the two but if we tap into Amuna, faith in our gut we know which one is right for us every action affects every other action the fact that it takes so long to break a habit shows that every single action has ramifications far beyond it That's why it says in Pirkei Avot the reward for a mitzvah is a mitzvah. Because if doing good begets doing good, one can take an action to stay in perpetual goodness. Or, God forbid, struggle steeped in the opposite. As we covered last week, too much chesed, kindness, without balancing it with gevurah, judgment, to reach a state of teferit, harmony, is also not healthy. And so the struggle between chesed and gevurah is within us at all times. The story of Yaakov and Esav puts one side far to one corner, and the other to the other corner. But since one represents the Yitzher Tov, good inclination in spirituality, and the other Yitzher Hara, the evil inclination and in materialism, and because both exist within us, it makes it that much tougher to see them clearly. Even with Yitzchak, their father, we see that he wanted to give the blessing to Esav. Because when something's so close to you, it's hard to see it clearly. Even in my own life, I struggle to decipher what's best at any moment. Do I continue to learn Torah, exist in the space of spirituality, and write insights for these Dvar Torahs? Or do I put some more time into materialism and work, since that is the reality of the physical world that we exist in? Do I say yes to everything someone asks of me, or do I set a boundary so I can help as much as I can, but not at the expense of things I need to take care of for myself and for my children? Do I take more time to heal a broken heart, or do I jump back into being vulnerable again and risking to break it once again? There's a Native American parable that goes a little something like this. A Cherokee elder was teaching his young grandson about life. A fight is going on inside of me, he said to the boy. It's a terrible fight between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, self-doubt, and ego. The other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside of you, and inside of every other person too. The boy thought about it for a minute, and he asked his grandfather, which wolf is going to win? The elder simply replied, the one you feed. It's written in Breshi, in Genesis, sin crouches at the door, ready to pounce. And in the Talmud, if you desire to, you can gain victory over it. What we learn from this parashah of Toldot is that the fighting within Rivka's womb is the struggle between the two worlds, one material and one spiritual. This is represented by the sons, Yaakov representing holiness and spirituality, and of course, Asav representing the other side. We learn that when Rivka walked by a place of worship and learning, Yaakov would push to get out of the womb. And on the other hand, we have Esav who would push when Rivka would pass a place of idol worshiping, representing the other side, the material side, that which opposes holiness and spirituality. This manifests into the struggle between Israel and Edom, but it's also meant to represent each person's struggle within themselves. As we read, And the LORD answered her, Two nations are in your womb, two separate people shall issue from your body. One people should be mightier than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The Gur Arya teaches that this embryonic Yaakov-Esav's struggle was not influenced by their personal good and evil inclinations, because those inclinations are not present before birth. Rather, Yaakov and Esav represented cosmic forces in creation, forces that transcended the normal cause of personality development. We see in this week's reading, the fate of the struggle has already been decided, as it's written, the older will serve the younger. Rashi expounds on this, saying that they will never be equally great at the same time. The ascent of one would result in the descent of the other. As it says in Yehezkel, in Ezekiel, O mortal, because Tyre gloated over Jerusalem, aha, The gateway of the peoples is broken and has become mine. I shall be filled now that it has laid in ruin. As the Gemara expounds, Tyre, colonized by Esau, became full, powerful only through the ruin of Jerusalem. Rabbi Nachshoni writes, Edom symbolizes the wicked kingdom, which compromises all the forces of evil from the time immemorial, which has always clashed with the spiritual world of Israel in different ways and forms. The ancient nucleus of this confrontation appears in the struggle between the two sons even before they are born. The commentators demonstrate a growth from this nucleus throughout all stages of Jewish history. Sefer al-Hasidim 833 says that Hashem deliberately implanted hatred between the two, even while they were still in the womb. Hashem wanted this hostility to serve as an iron curtain between Yaakov and Esav. Abarbanel discusses historical detail of warfare between Yaakov, Israel, and Esav, Edom, teaching that there were kings in Edom prior to the Jews actually becoming one nation. But King David put his own officers over Edom to ensure their descent. And in the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, second holy temple, Hirkanus, the Jewish high priest of Maccabee of the second century BCE defeated Edom and forced them to convert. Chazal, our sages refer to our exile at the hands of the Romans as the exile of Edom. Because it is after this exile that the third and final Beit Migdash and our Mashiach will be revealed. Chizkuni points out that they are fighting for separation from one another already in Rivka's womb. Rashi expounds, One wishes wickedness to prevail on earth, the other righteousness, implying that at this point in time, the outcome of who would prevail in the struggle was not yet known. It would only become clear when the two children's vocational choices had been made. One a hunter and idolater, the other a philosopher and focused on godliness, making study his primary occupation. It says in Likute Maran that by strengthening our faith, we defeat the traits that correspond to idolatry, meaning haughtiness, anger, and misplaced faith. But when we strengthen true emunah faith, we weaken and defeat these false faiths of the Sitra Achra, the other side. Rabbi Nachman teaches that Rashi's comments apply to the power of imagination as well, as opposed to our intellectual wisdom. Only when we subdue such illusory thoughts do we attain and strengthen true wisdom. We learn that Yaakov was grasping Esav's heel and so he was named Yaakov. And we learn that Yaakov and Heel, Ekev, share the same root. We learn from this that just as in the womb where Yaakov grasped Esav's heel, So too in life, he would never let him be victorious and trap the soul waiting for rectification. With emunah, faith, and hishtalut action, Yaakov, and indeed all of us, will remove the souls from the grips of the other side, the side of doubt and faithlessness. When Yaakov's name changes and becomes Israel, it's an indication of revelation, an indication that eventually all souls will be elevated to the highest level. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, teaches that all the people on the face of the earth must know That our bodies have sent into exile and servitude of foreign rules, but our souls have not been exiled or enslaved. The only part holding our souls back is our bodies, but only if we serve our bodies rather than having our bodies serve our souls. This is even seen within our two inclinations and the one's eventual servitude to the other. King David composed truths with his heart when he wrote, For he will give command of his angels to you to look after you wherever you will go. He meant for us to understand that the Yetzir Hara, evil inclination, is waiting for each of us, born before we even come out of the womb. But Hashem, if we tap into truth, will protect us from it. This is because Yetzir Tov, the good inclination, is absolute truth, while Yetzir Hara, the root word of Yetzir being to create, is constantly trying to create needs to take us away from good and truth. If a person puts all of his efforts towards truth, with a constant return to the spiritual and adherence to the covenant of Avraham, then the Yetzir Hara starts to submit to the Yetzir Tov, bringing more and more good inclination. As it said, one ascends as the other descends. And in this way, both of them, the good and the bad angels, are able to join together to guard the person from doing bad wherever the person is. This is the meaning of the verse, He will command of his angels to you to look after you wherever you will go. This is to say, when strengthening the good over the bad, in the most true and pure way, even the bad angel, against its will and purpose, has to say Amen. The ramifications of faithlessness and falsehoods have been seen throughout history. As Joseph B. Salvicic writes in The Lonely Man of Faith, the biblical account of the original sin is the story of man of faith who realizes suddenly that faith can be utilized for the acquisition of majesty and glory, and who instead, of fostering a covenantal community, prefers to organize a political utilitarian community. Exploiting the sincerity and unqualified commitment of the crowd for non-covenantal worldly purposes. The history of organized religion is replete with instances of destruction of the covenant. I used to listen to this one album that I love, The Doors in Concert. Jim Morrison was a powerful frontman. Two things that he said stuck with me and sort of reminded me of Asa. One moment he kept screaming, petition the Lord with prayer. You can't petition the Lord with prayer. As they cheered on to that sentiment. Another point in the show, he once again stopped and said, I don't know what's going to happen, man, but I want to have my kicks before the whole house goes up in flames. It's a little expletive there. And everyone's cheering. Rav Joey Rosenfeld has a great take on the verse in Sefer Yirmiyahu that reads, Do not weep for the dead, and do not lament for him. Rather, weep for the one who is moving towards it. Embracee Rabat explains that, in this regard, to the confrontation between Asa and Yaakov, who represents the archetypal two relationships that human beings can have with time, Asav with his worldly reality stuck within the concept of temporal reality, which is a being towards death, that every moment one is alive is another iteration of the simple truth of a human being thrown into this world, where time calls to mind the imminent and inevitable mortality. Yaakov, on the other hand, represents a new, redeemed way of confronting time, and the capacity to transcend the confinement of time to find within time itself a deep level of experience and possibility that without time we would have no capacity to experience. Yaka doesn't see each moment as being a movement, a slow march, or an infinite repetition of iterations marching towards death, but rather sees that within time, there's the space that offers the possibility of being present, of elevating moments, and of redemption at any moment. And knowing that time is Full of struggles and ups and downs but specifically within these broken fallen states one can embrace transcend and find hidden blessings that wouldn't be possible without the darkness in the negative side of his experience. Chazal say Yaakov made a lentil dish while Esav is out chasing vices because everything he sees brings to mind his own demise which he is reminded of when his grandfather Avram dies. Meanwhile Yaakov is making lentils to honor and commemorate the passing of his grandfather. Chazal say that as Yaakov is making this dish Esau comes in from the field and asks, What's the purpose of this dish? And Yaakov answers, Our grandfather has passed away. And Esau replies, Even that Zakain, that righteous old individual, he too suffers from judgment and will fall under the death and this mortality? Yaakov responds, Yes. And Esau explains, If so, then there's no offering of reward, no purpose to our actions and no redemption or life beyond death. Esau thinks to himself, If that is so, then this world is painful and anxiety-inducing, and I need to continue to escape it. He looks to Yaakov and asks to be fed, wanting to at least devour something. That is why it said he did not cry over a person who died, meaning Avram, but he would cry over the person who is essentially living towards death, Asaph. Asaph saw it all as further proof that life has no purpose and that the blessing too had no use for him. He believed in the moment and getting whatever you can was most important. So he found the soup for the moment to be more valuable than a blessing of this and the next world, when he did not believe in the holiness of either. Yaakov saw that the holy effects that Avraham had in this world and the next world, while Esav saw it as, even if you do good, you still die and it's all over. Everything is futile, and so only worshipping one's own desires is meaningful. Esav was a hunter, a killer. That's why he came out red, symbolizing blood. Rabbi Abahu said, robber is the same as hunter. Esav represented evil, someone who doesn't care about his fellow man or Hashem and so would steal, thinking it was a way of cheating life. While Yaakov had full emunah, full faith, and knew you can't steal or cheat fate, as some of us call it, karma, as karma will always win in the end. And so, the view motivating one to live in such a way is short-sighted, and lacks any faith of unity, purpose, and oneness. It's the sort of view that Asav lived by, and Jim Morrison proclaimed, that without faith in fate, one is motivated to be selfish and enjoy every moment of materialism till it all goes up in flames for them. The entire approach to life actually reminds me of a moment in my favorite film, Annie Hall, in which little Alvy Singer is with his mother at the doctor's office, and the dialogue goes a little something like this. Mrs. Singer, he's been depressed, all of a sudden he can't do anything. And the doctor asks, why are you depressed, Alvy? Mrs. Singer, tell Dr. Flicker, it's something you read. And the doctor says, something you read? And Alvy chimes in, the universe is expanding. Well, the universe is everything, and if it's expanding, someday it will break apart, and that will be the end of everything. And Mrs. Singer said, what is that your business, looking at the doctor? He stopped doing his homework. Alvie, what's the point? And Mrs. Singer jumps in, what has the universe got to do with it? You're here in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is not expanding. The doctor chimes in, it won't be expanding for billions of years, Alvie. and we've got to enjoy ourselves while we're here, huh? Huh? And he starts laughing. Both Alvy and the doctor are speaking from a place of of a place where the purpose of this world isn't connected to the next world. It's just a temporal space leading to nothingness. So there are only two choices for such a person. One, to remain hopeless and depressed and unmotivated. And the other, to be a slave to the self and its desires, trying to quench its insatiable thirst, making a life without purpose filled with pleasure. I'm a big fan of all the seemingly endless and epic work of Rabbi Chaim Kramer, the brain behind the Breslov Research Institute, and all the work that he does. Beyond translating the 15 volumes of Likute Maran into English, and doing the same for Likutei L'Achot, he is the author of countless books around Breslov Hasidut, and one of his famous ones titled Anatomy of the Soul, exploring the Torah's depiction of man as being created in Hashem's image, writing from the lessons of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. In his book, he shares a beautiful teaching by Rabbi Chaim Vital, the foremost student of the Holy Ariza, where Vital in this book, Sharei Kedusha, shares the following. Just as a master craftsman can carve the human figure in stone, so do the master craftsmen fashion the body in the exact same form as the soul. Since the soul itself parallels the composition of the Torah with both positive mitzvot and its prohibition, so too the limbs of the body, though formed from the four material elements, parallel the limbs for the soul and the corresponding mitzvot. Adam was to have lived eternally. By eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he sullied both his soul and his body. As a result, illness, suffering, and death descended upon humanity, as Adam was warned, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, eat nothing. For on the day you will eat from it, mot tamut, you will surely die. The double idiom, mot tamut, means literally, dying you will die, indicating a double death, both physical and spiritual. Adam was the paradigm of a spiritual man. However, having eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he descended to a material level, dragging all of creation down with him. And by partaking of both good and evil, he caused everything in creation to become a mixture of good and evil. From Adam and Chava, from Adam and Eve, and the breaking of the Edenic state to the state that we find ourselves in, our struggle, our task, and indeed our purpose is to spiritualize reality by bringing light into our own darkness, prati, personal. And by doing so, to bring light into the world, Khali, communal. By continuously doing this and focusing on the light and elevating the dark fallen sparks, we grab the heel of the other side to bring it to the side of truth. Truth, when pursued, will always wash away faithlessness and falsehood, as it's written in Shoftim. Justice, justice, shall you pursue, that you may live and possess the land of the Lord your God is giving you. This is because truth and justice is how we merit to stay alive and settle the promised land. This isn't only referring to Israel, but how each of us can reach our own promised land and find personal redemption. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.